You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love Pour Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning, good morning, good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, however you are catching off the shelf. To our loyal listeners, you guys be here. This is 17 years, 17 years the show has been on. I mean, time does fly. If it's your first time tuning in, I want to let you know that you are listening to the winning book podcast, Off the Shelf. And I want to drop this thought in to your mind. This is from Chris. Grosser, Chris Grosser, opportunities don't happen, you create them. Opportunities don't happen, you create them. So welcome to our Saturday, November the 12th. Thanksgiving is coming fast for those of you who celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. The weather's changing. Wherever you are in the world, other parts of the world, it may be different. But it's here in the United States, the weather's changing, and soon Thanksgiving will be coming. But I want to welcome you to our Saturday, November the 12th show. Thank you so much for joining us. We have a wonderful, wonderful author on deck for today's Off the Shelf, and I'm excited to introduce her to you. But first, I want to, all Off the Shelf listeners, I want to say, real life, when you pay attention and you're Practice awareness, you'll see. Real life offers, it offers deeper, more complex mysteries than any movie, any books. I was watching some FBI series last night, and I was like, wow. If real life offers the deepest, most complex mysteries. Author today is going to talk about a topic that I really, I really want to dive into. But before that, that's not to say, like with the book our author wrote, that's not to say that books can't tell real life mysteries in a powerful, very engaging way. And in fact, Escaping Toward Freedom is such a mystery and a suspense book that pulls us off. Clarissa, she's a writer, and she's vacationing in the North Georgia mountains. And anybody who's been there is very quiet, very peaceful there. And she's trying to stir her creative juices to gain enough just to get her pen going so she can write her next novel, which she hopes would, would turn out to be a New York Times and an Essence bestseller like her last novel was. You guys, she isn't, and you, you all, you guys, you women, she isn't in the mountains too for days when she spots what looks like a girl hiding by her cabin. And she invites this girl inside the cabin that she's renting. That one single move changes her whole life. If you if you love a good mystery, get a, your copy of Escaping Toward Freedom to find out what happens to these girls and Clarissa. If you don't see it on the bookstore shelves in the library, just ask the clerk, the bookstore, the library, to order a copy of Escaping Toward Freedom by Denise Turney, and they can order it for you because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. Jumbo, Jumbo, and now let us go and meet our very special off-the-shelf guest, and today's off-the-shelf guest is Liz Alterman. Liz is a storyteller at heart. She's also a wife, mother, and an editor. And books that Liz has authored include The Perfect Neighborhood, He'll Be Waiting, and Sad Sacked. And Liz and her works 
have been mentioned in a variety of periodicals, including the Washington Post, the New York Times, and Parents. Her latest novel, The Perfect Neighborhood, is published by Penguin, Penguin Random House. Please check Liz Alterman out online at LizAlterman.com, and I'm going to spell it, L-I-Z-A-L-T-E-R-M-A-N.com, L-I-Z-A-L-T-E-R-M-A-N.com. We're just absolutely honored to have Liz join us on Off the Shelf this morning. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Liz. Oh, hi, Denise. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Yeah, and, and I was your book. The title of your book. I love the title of your book. Oh, but thank before you. I, before we get into your book, and it's something I started doing years ago. I tell people because when I started off the shelf, I just jump right into the questions. And <laughs> I got emails from from listeners. Can you give us a little backstory on each guest before you do that? So the first three to four questions I ask every guest who comes on the show, just so our listeners get a little backstory on you. So to kick off today's show, Liz, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners where you grew up and what life was like for you growing up? Oh, absolutely, sure. Thank you for asking. Uh, Well, I grew up in New Jersey in a very quiet suburb in Somerset County. It was kind of a rural area. It has since, like most of New Jersey, become a little bit more developed than it was, let's say, 40 years ago. But um, it was, you know, a lovely place to grow up, and um, I lived with my mom and dad and two younger brothers, and my grandmother moved in with us, and I think um, she, you know, she had she had had a tough life. Um, she was widowed very early on, and she had to work very hard to provide for my dad. So she uh, she always had a little bit of, um, you know, she saw the fear in a lot of things, and so she was always kind of warning us about stuff. And I I feel like I've kind of taken that spirit into my writing, into um, you know, thrillers and just thinking about what could go wrong, what could happen. And uh, you know, I know she was motivated coming from a place of love, but growing up always being told, you know, watch out for this, watch out for that. You know, it puts that that little voice in your head. But I will say growing up, I was a bit of a a bookworm. That was kind of my favorite thing to do was to just find a novel and sit down on the couch or my bed and read, read, read. Um, Every holiday or for my birthday, I would always ask for new copies of Nancy Drew books so that I could (laughs) complete my collection, you know, lining them up in in chronological order of the volumes. But uh, so I think reading and, and writing were always passions of mine. So it was sort of on my bucket list to write a novel. And, um, you know, after a lot of <laughs> self-doubt and rejection, I feel like I was able to do that. Oh, congratulations to you. I was listening to you talk about your grandmother, and I was like, whoa, deja vu. My, oh, my paternal- you had the same experience? Well, she didn't live with us. My paternal grandmother was like that. And I used to wonder why everything you, you did, it was um, – she grew up in a really big family, but everything was, be careful if you go to the park, somebody could grab you or this. Yeah. Everything, my dad was totally not that way, thankfully. Oh, but my, everywhere you went, it was, got to look out for this, look out for that. Yes. Everything almost was a big warning to it. And she was very loving, but I didn't even think about that. And I think, I'm like, am I like that in any way? You gave me something <laughs> to think about. I don't tell people be careful all the time, but I wonder in my own mind if I do that. Like I better be careful. Right. I better watch out. 
Yeah, you, yeah, I haven't heard nobody say that in a while, but you made me think. So thanks oh, for sharing cool. that. Oh, no problem. Yeah. You know, I think they, they're coming, I'm sure, from a place of love that they just want to protect you. And when you're little, I think it can be a bit overbearing or it can make you more fearful than you would ordinarily be. But sometimes I'll say, you know what, maybe she saved me from something terrible happening. So I have to, I have yeah. to be grateful yeah. for that, right? Yeah you, yeah, you never know. So you read a lot of books when you were a little girl, you told us, and you would ask people for gifts and things you wanted books. But when you were a little girl, you were dreaming, and you know, when we're kids, we often think this. There's not, we don't put a limit on what we can do. But as exactly. a kid, what 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 did you want to be when you were when you grew up? When you were a little girl, what did you want to grow up and be? I think I wanted to be a writer because I think you know going to the library uh, was one of my favorite activities. I have to admit, I'm I'm not much of an athlete. I don't have many other talents, so I think I think reading and writing were were kind of it for me. And I know one of my favorite things was was to go to the library and let's say you had a favorite author, if then you discovered that they had written other things that you could you know use your library card and take home with you, and um, you know that that was felt like such a gift to me to find uh for example i loved a wrinkle in time and when i went back and i found that that author had other other novels that i was unaware of it just you know it just felt like a gift and so i think i i also loved the escape into a book you know of course being raised in the 70s i watched you know tons of um Brady Bunch and Partridge Family and um, What's Happening. <laughs> you know, I love different oh, strokes, God, all yeah. of those shows. But at the same time, you know, I did have a father who would come in periodically, and um, I think that was before there were even remote controls. He would go, you know, push the button, turn off the TV, and say, go read a book. And so I think uh, reading, reading provided, um, you know, just as nice an escape into a different world. And uh, I always feel like you can travel without leaving your home. So especially yes. during the pandemic, I feel like books were such a refuge for all of us. Oh, my God. You know what? I was surprised as a as an author, um, when book sales, my book sales like really went up during the COVID. I thought oh, just the, great. I thought just the opposite would happen because I'm like, I'm not getting out. I'm not. It just, sure. it was really, it was really surprising um, just that people ch- chose that as an entertainment option. It was really surprising to me, a very welcome, surprising uh, thing. You know, of all the guests we've had on, writers, we've had people who, movie producers and different, just different people in the in the storytelling, doing anything with storytelling. You are one of the rare people, honestly, <laughs> who have said since they were a kid they knew they wanted to be a writer. We've had people say, oh, I want to be an astronaut. Oh, I want to go oh, be an actor. Oh, I want to be play a sport or a musician or it's rare <laughs> oh, that's funny. Well, I, guess, I mean I, yeah. I'd like to say it's a good thing but I would probably say it's more a function of me not being very good at too many other things even no, you know, a few you years that. ago I, I tried to teach myself piano and I think I you know with YouTube now it's so easy to just try anything and I spent about 45 minutes and I got maybe the first 
three notes. And it was almost like I had amnesia between attempts. I could not remember which key, which is C, which is D. So I have to say, and, you know, going, thinking about becoming an astronaut is probably, you know, I was never, like with science, sometimes um, I would have to read the same paragraphs over and over for it to sink in. So <laughs> I hate to say uh, it, but I, I feel like my, my options were almost limited. <laughs> I didn't have so many uh, talents. Well, see, that, well you, you keep keep exploring. You might shock yourself. You might that would shock be good. Yourself. In the second half of your life, you might shock yourself. Now, Liz, it would be fun to like, happen upon a, a new talent. Right? There you go. You may you might not add something to, to to add to your writing. You never know. Now, do, right. do you write? Do you write full time, Liz? For our listeners, listen here in Penguin Random House. You know, when you hear a big name, people just think you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But do you write full-time or do you juggle your writing and another full or part-time gig? Oh, thanks for asking. Yes, I guess I should clarify. My my novel, The Perfect Neighborhood, was published in the U.S. by Crooked Lane, and they distribute through Penguin Random House. So that's where I guess okay. if you if you were to go to Penguin Random House's um, website, it's it's under there because that's I guess who distributes it to bookstores and libraries. But I wish I could say that I were making hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not yet. Maybe after this radio show airs, we will <laughs> we'll pick up lots of new new readers. But um, So I will say I was working, um, I spent many years working as a freelance writer and journalist and, you know, kind of cobbling together a full-time job with all these different projects and making, I guess, what would be um, like a semi-decent salary, nothing, you know, I'm not going to be buying a mansion or taking uh, extravagant vacations, but, you know, enough to, to pay the bills and that was good. And then I was offered an opportunity to work uh, full-time for a fintech company in their communications department. And I accepted that. Uh, and I guess I was there about 10 months when, unfortunately, I was laid off. So after that, I and that just happened, I guess I was laid off in February. So once that happened, I thought, and I was given a severance package, and I was fortunate that I just took a few months to kind of prep to get ready for the perfect neighborhood to come out and to try, to try my hand at self-promotion and, you know, get up to speed on social media and do some podcasts and, you know, speak with wonderful people all over the country like you who are helping unite readers and authors. So I've had, I've had a great time doing that, but unfortunately I think I'm going to have to get back to right, uh, to a full time <laughs> or at least taking on more freelance projects to kind of pay the bills in between projects. I'm hoping to have a new book out soon, but you just never know um, how that's all going to work out. You know, it's good to hear you say this. For um, I was just re- reading an article yesterday on, and this might not seem like it's tied together, but it is, about writer scams. And, and when you hear people, it's good to hear authors and I've I've I personally know some people who've had their books on the New York Times bestseller list, Essence bestseller list, but they they've had they have full time jobs too. But uh, Toni Morrison works. She and Joyce Carol Oates, they wow, called it yes. uh, Princeton Princeton University and putting out their novels. But um, exactly, it's good to hear people say that. So when you hear us, somebody tell you if you work with me, I can get you on New York Times. I can help you make them become a millionaire. It's like well, 
start listening to people like Liz Alderman and people <laughs> who tell you the truth. That is very rare that that happens. And even people like Stephen King, it took years to build up to where right. he was. It, that's, it, what, that's what I hear, too, that it, it really helps, you know, to just kind of um, almost dig in and just keep on writing. And yes. I, I know some, I forget now, of course, I wish I could remember her name, but there was an author who was saying um, that people think it was her first book, but really it was her seventh that took off for her. And she was saying, I guess, kind of how I felt as a child when I went to the library and I found an author's backlist. But she said then with the popularity of her seventh novel, she saw all those that she had written previously sort of take off and, and uh, you know, they would sell then. And so that gave her a nice boost. But she was saying, you know, it, it definitely was not her debut, that that's kind of a false perception and that it took her kind of, just as you're saying, toiling away, writing, you know, at five in the morning or at nine at night to put this, you know, this book together in between working and all the other demands of life. Yeah, there you go. So that when you hear the truth, it hopefully helps you avoid scammers who tell you they right. got the magic wand and uh it'll happen all of all of a sudden. Most people who are honest will tell you this is it's it's work. You got to believe in yourself and keep going. That's right. it. we want to start talking about your books. I want to talk about a few of your your stories before we get into the perfect neighborhood. Can okay. you tell us about He'll be waiting. Can you tell oh, us absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. So my tagline for that novel, it's a young adult thriller that sort of, I guess, maybe three quarters of, of the way through takes on a bit of a coming of age story element. And my tagline for that is, what would you give to remember? Um, what would you do to remember? What would you give to forget? And it's all about a girl, um, Tess, who wakes up in the hospital after suffering an accident that she can't remember, and she doesn't know how she's ended up in the hospital. All she knows is that she's been looking forward to seeing her boyfriend, who was coming home from college, but he's not at the hospital. Her best friend hasn't visited her there either, and her parents are there, but they're acting very strange. And so she has to amid being, uh, you know, having broken bones and a concussion, she needs to piece together how she ended up there. And so the story sort of takes off from there. And then uh, she's able to kind of bring, recall those memories and rebuild the night in her mind. At the same time, the reader is kind of seeing what happens in the present and what happens in the past with all of those relationships. Who, who who would you say the audience is for, for He'll Be Waiting? Uh, I guess I would say anyone maybe, like, let's say, 14 years or older. And I would say it would appeal to fans of, I don't know if you're familiar with Karen McManus's novels, like the One of Us is Lying, One of Us is Dead. Um, yeah, or I've even, heard of her name, but yeah. Oh, okay. her name is, or even yeah. John Green. I've had a few people compare it to... Um, the Fault in Our Stars, or say it would appeal to the same readers as, as those novels. Okay. So could you tell us a little bit about what happens to her, but can you describe Tess Porter a little bit more and tell us what she's like before and after she loses her memory? Oh, sure. 
Uh, that's a great question. Well, I think before, you know, she's a little bit naive. She is an only child, and she's a little bit, like mo- like most teenagers, sort of thinks the world <laughs> revolves around her. And, um, you know, she's not the smartest uh, in her grade, and I guess she's kind of under the pressure of a lot of people are, you know, applying to colleges, and she's kind of trying to forge her own path. One of her hobbies is cooking, so that's cooking and baking are things that she really enjoys enjoys and um, she has a cat who you know kind of keeps her company while she watches baking shows and uh, so I guess she's preparing for her boyfriend to come home it's it's his first night back from college for the holiday break and she is preparing this nice meal for him when she gets a call and he asks her if he if she would do him a favor by going and picking up a friend at the airport who um, unfortunately has had his, his thing stolen while he was at the gate and uh, he fell asleep. And so it's this kind of involved thing that he asks her, but, and it's snowing and she's a bit of a nervous driver and she's going to have to go to the airport, Newark airport, since we're lo- for any local listeners uh, to pick him up. And she's a little anxious, but her parents are out of town. And so she thinks like, okay, I'll just, you know, I don't want to let my boyfriend down. I'll do this one favor, and, you know, then we'll go on to have this magical evening. And things don't turn out that way, unfortunately, for her. And so I think after everything evolves, she, I think she has to really grow as a person and um, and really think about uh, her relationship with her best friend, her relationship with her parents, kind of the choices that she's made. and um, And she's kind of forced to face some difficult truths but i hope that readers like it i don't want to say too much and spoil yeah. spoil things now now did writing did writing he'll be waiting did this take you back to your college days did it bring back memories for you you know it did bring me it did take me back to um I guess almost like that high school, like because Tess has such a, I mean, she this is her boyfriend, but she has like such a crush. And I think that whole flush of like a first love and being excited about someone and, and sort of not always making the best choices when you're in that position because you want, you know, you don't want to let that person down and uh, maybe sort of ignoring those instincts of, of really what's the smarter way to go. Uh, I, it, I think it did, it did take me back to maybe, <laughs> I don't want to say some poor choices I made early on, but um, just things that, that I could have maybe done differently, um, you ah. know, just, right. But, no, but well, thankfully, we... none, none of it is based on real life, I will say that. Okay. What have readers been saying about he'll he'll be waiting? Um, you know, I've had really nice feedback from a lot of readers, and I was re- I, I guess they'll say you know um, it, they felt it was a page turner that uh, or that they enjoyed the character development, and then the father in the story is a writer, and. There's a part where the daughter, when I talk about maybe she's been a little self-centered, Tess, she hasn't, she's never read her dad's novel, the one that sort of put him on the map and that he's never really been able to, to live up to the success of that first novel. So while she's in rehab, sort of, you know, learning to, to navigate with the injuries that she's received from this accident, she decides to read his novel. And so I think readers 
So I included a bit of what that novel is about. And so I've had readers who are interested in that aspect, like almost the book within the book, like how did that come about? Or, um, you know, tell me, tell me more about that. And then I was very fortunate in that um, it just was released in October by Blackstone Publishing as an audio book. And so the oh, narrator okay. is, yeah, it was very exciting. The narrator is absolutely fantastic. So, um, if anybody listening prefers audiobooks, it's available in that format and, um, you know, available through Audible or I believe through Spotify. I know they're doing uh, books now. Or if, you, if anyone wants to request it from their library, that's great, too. I, I'm a big fan of, <laughs> of using Hoopla and Livy to, to access e-books and audiobooks. Okay, now that's he'll be waiting off the shelf, listeners. We're interviewing Miss Liz Alterman this morning. So before we get to the perfect neighborhood, which I am excited to get into, want to talk about another story you wrote, and is sad sack. Is this a work of nonfiction or is this fiction? It's nonfiction. It's actually a memoir, and I can tell you how it came about. Um, my husband and I were laid off within six weeks of each other. This was back in 2013, late 2013. My husband lost his job, and he'd been with the same company for 18 years. And then oh. fast forward six weeks. <laughs> I always oh. joke. I say, don't try this at home. And then six weeks later, I lost my job, and I had been working full-time as an editor for a local news site. And so it really, you know, we just found ourselves in this, you know, scary position of trying to reinvent ourselves at midlife, you know, and kind of wondering how many, how many companies are interested in, in someone in their 40s. We, we were competing against, you know, fresh, fresh out of college graduates who are willing to work for a much lower salary or maybe, you know, a lot of roles don't have benefits anymore. You're sort of brought on as a consultant or a freelancer. Or, so it was pretty scary because we have three children. And, uh, you know, for my husband, oh, my he gosh. Had, right. Oh, my gosh. So, it, yeah, I know a lot of people just, I, it was, I was joking that when we would see people, and I also say, you know, in America, when you meet someone, they will immediately say to you, what do you do? Or, you know, where do you work? And as opposed to, let's say, you're in another part of the world, and someone might say, oh, where, where have you vacationed last? Or where did you go on wow. holiday? Or, what are you reading? And so I felt like when we would tell people, um, we're both out of work. Uh, you almost saw people like take a step back, like we were contagious, like we had this, you know, kind of bad aura of unemployment about us. But I do feel like, so the reason I wrote this memoir is because I feel like you can go online and you can find so much advice about resume writing and cover letter writing. But you're not going to find people who are saying, you know, I'm up at two in the morning, like really sweating and comfort eating and panicked, like how am I going to pay my bills and my mortgage? And, you know, rejection emails come in that will say we, we've gone with a more qualified candidate or um, we're not moving forward with you. And you just kind of have to roll with it and build yourself back up again so that you can kind of keep getting out there to reapply so I just wanted to present like that more human side of it. And also the funny thing is my husband and I had very different approaches. You know, I was immediately panicked. What are we going to do? And my husband 
more, I guess, because he hadn't loved his job for a while, and he had, uh, it was a long day. He would leave here at uh, maybe 5.15 in the morning to catch a, a, I know, catch a train, then he would catch a subway to get to his office, and so he was pretty much by 8.30 or 9 o'clock at night, like his eyes were closing, so his quality of life had really diminished over the course of time that he'd been there, so when he was laid off, it was almost like um, a new lease on life. You know, he was up late watching um, late night talk shows. He was kind of, you know, he joined our YMCA. He bought himself a Nutribullet. Like he was going to be juicing all the time and buying all this produce. And I was kind of saying like, do you really need organic pomegranates? Like we're going to run out of money here. What are you doing? Your grandmother coming through a little bit, huh? Right, right, exactly. Oh, my God, right. i got to be careful. <laughs> I know, right. Yes, I guess the warrior in me took over. And uh, so I just wanted to kind of explore that because I also felt like when I would tell people, you know, we're out of work or we lost our jobs, it was somebody would then invariably lean over and whisper like, my husband lost his job. I know what you're going through. But it, I felt like people were treating it almost like it was this dirty little secret when really layoffs are so commonplace now. But, yeah, you know, back in yeah. 2014, it really wasn't as common. But now it's like every day we hear about a tech giant laying off thousands yeah. or a bank laying off thousands. And so I think there are a lot of people who – but I, I still think, you know, whether you see it coming or it's a shock, it's still – it still hits you hard, and it's oh, you yeah. know, definitely oh, yeah. your self-esteem takes a hit, your dignity, oh, yeah. you worry, and uh, it's it's very difficult. So yes. uh, I wrote it, I joke that I started as a blog, um, I started blogging about it, and I was saying, you know, this is kind of like my online diary as I descend into madness if neither one of us <laughs> gets a job soon, and then uh, I thought, you know, why not maybe see if I could put this into a longer piece. And that's how that came about. Wow. Oh, my gosh. And this is for our off-the-shelf listeners. Can you tell us this is about your Thanksgiving? It's a Thanksgiving that just went awry. Right, And right. can you tell our listeners a little bit more about it? For anybody with Thanksgiving coming, I hope your book sales for this book story go, go through the roof. But for oh, anybody who's either dealing with this holiday thing or – I was laid off during the Great Recession, which was horrible. Oh, and, I'm sorry. And, yes, because then you're competing yes. against so many people who are oh, also the, out of work. It's, I'm sorry. That's so difficult. Yeah. They laid off about 35000 I think over the long haul, probably more than 50000 when these two companies merged. But I have been with the company over 17 years. It was a wonderful oh, wow. company. But, and I, my, my performance was the, the best it could be. But these things happen, like you said. So when exactly. I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you. So you're talking about SASAC with this Thanksgiving going awry. Tell right. us a little bit more about this story. What's, what is it about this Thanksgiving dinner that made you want to sit down and write a story about it? Well, I guess it was that we had started, we lost our jobs right around, uh, or, well, my husband, I guess he was laid off right before Thanksgiving. And so when he called, right before he called to tell me he was let go, I I thought my biggest worry in my life was going to be hosting this Thanksgiving. I think we were having maybe a, a dozen or more people. And so that day I had planned to go to Costco and, you know, get get a jump on what I needed to do, clean the house, clean everything. And 
So when he called, it was almost like not just my day, but like our lives kind of got derailed there. But I thought, you know, we would still go ahead with it and we're going to host this holiday. We're going to try to make the best of it. And um, but just when when he and I, I guess that afternoon, I picked him up from the train station. We ended up going to Costco. And as I was wandering through the aisles, I had forgotten my list. So I'm trying to remember, you know, what do I need for this? What are the ingredients for this pie? What do I need? And every few minutes I would just have a flash, like, your husband has no job. You know, now is not the time to be buying a giant tub of cinnamon for $12. Like, just, uh, you know, keep it together. So I guess it – and then, I mean, not not to spoil anything, but fast forward a year to the next Thanksgiving, and my husband is still out of work. And that's when um, I really – I was really in uh, in a bad place saying, you know, I know – I know we have to be thankful for our health and our children and all of those things, but it's been a year now and not much has changed. And um, I think we were hosting, or no, I'm sorry, we weren't hosting the holiday that year. We were going to my brother's house, but I was saying, you know, um, do people even really want to see us? We're such downers now (laughs) because uh, at that point too, again, not without, without spoiling anything, I did get a job about six months after I was let go, but it really, it was a bit of a bait and switch. It wasn't quite the job that I was expecting it to be. And, um, and so, you know, I joke in the memoir that the editors that I was working with, it was a writing position, but instead of it, I was picturing like, you know, something about, let's say, how to create a nice Thanksgiving centerpiece. And I joke that my editor was more like, how can you incorporate pumpkin spice into your lovemaking? Like it was just really like these clickbait (laughs) headlines and stories. And um, so it was was kind of funny in that after I began that job, about three weeks in, I said, I wish that I had – uh, asked to write under a pseudonym because the things that they were having me write were just uh, absolutely crazy. Um, you know, furniture, I hope this isn't too much for your listeners, but like furniture that had the feel of human testicles and, you know, if a oh rat's head was found in a Chili's somewhere in the wet, in the West, you know, it was like just these crazy, as I say, clickbait or salacious uh, stories. And I just, I really didn't feel good about it. So, but at the same time, I wasn't in a position to leave it until I found something else with my husband out of work. So it just, uh, <laughs> it was like oh a my double gosh. All this is in sad sack? It is, yes. Oh my God, this story sounds so interesting. Did you put a comedy touch on this story? Did you make it I, like a comedic? I tried to. I mean, it definitely, it has its ups and downs as we go through it, but I did try to put, like, more of a lighthearted look at some of the crazy things that we went through. Oh, my God, it sounds funny. Oh, thank you. It sounds like it could be a comedy. The the stuff happening is definitely not funny. Right. uh, I'm thinking about the the, the TV uh, movie Vacation. All yes, stuff exactly. Like you can say that's not funny, but then in a way, they turned it into like comedy. Uh, so now I want to talk about the book, the book, the book. What inspired you to write the perfect neighborhood? 
Oh, thank you for asking. Well, I actually woke up from a dream with the idea for it. And I had, I wow. guess, the idea for the beginning. And I had, I guess, sort of an idea of how I wanted it to end. But, of course, I didn't have the middle. And then uh, I told my husband right when I woke up from the dream the whole, you know, the premise. And he said to me, oh, that'll never work. And so uh, I just kind of tabled the idea for about six months, and I was sort of hoping maybe a new idea would come to me. And it didn't. I didn't have any new ideas. And at the same time, when I would be, you know, doing the dishes or folding laundry or doing yard work, I could sort of hear these characters in my head. I'm sure you probably have the same as an author where the characters begin kind of talking to you or you'll be thinking about maybe a grocery list you have to put together. And then all of a sudden the character is like, hey, what about this? Or what about what if you take the plot this way? Or what if I do this? And so I felt like I could sort of hear those voices. And so after about six months, I sat down and I just I opened a Word document and I just started typing all the ideas that I'd had over the past six months. And by the time I was done, I had about 6,000 words. And they weren't, um, you know, they weren't necessarily, they didn't have a great flow. They weren't poetic, but they were ideas. And I sort of thought, okay, you've waited for an idea. You haven't had another one. Just go with this. And so I actually began right before the pandemic started. And it provided a really great escape, I guess, from the news and all the horrors of the world around us that, you know, I would kind of take an hour or two here or there and sneak away to my attic and just try to write. And I, I feel in a way that this fictional world, um, you know, was, was provided a great escape for me from from things that were happening at that time. Ah, now can you give us a brief overview of The Perfect Neighborhood? Sure, I'd love to. Thank you for asking. Uh, so I guess my tagline for this book is Think You Know Your Neighbors, Think Again. And wow. uh, just to, to give you the blurb, um, when Allison Langley leaves her former rock star husband in the middle of the night, her sudden departure becomes the talk of Oak Hill. And that's this um, affluent community where they live. And the gossip then comes to an abrupt halt when five-year-old Billy Barnes disappears on his walk home from kindergarten. And so all the residents of this neighborhood have, they've really felt that they're very safe and insulated because it's such a nice community. But then they start to wonder, is there a predator lurking in their midst? And uh, there are also other complications. For example, uh, the boy's mom has had a long time rift with her stepson. And so you sort of wonder, does that have anything to do with it? And then complicating matters further, uh, the babysitter, Cassidy McLean, who's a high school student, she was supposed to be there at Billy's home that day to greet him, and she was late. So then you sort of wonder, you know, what is her secret? Why was she late? Where has she been? And so the story is told from multiple points of view, and it really explores uh, just that, you know, when you see a neighborhood or a community and it looks perfect on the surface, uh, this really delves into, like, what are the secrets going on? And it sort of takes a voyeuristic view into marriages and modern parenting. And I like to say it will appeal to fans of Desperate Housewives and Big Little Lies. Those are things that uh, oh, reviewers okay. over time have said, like, if, if you liked those, this should appeal to you too. 
Now, introduce us to Allison Langley. Get, tell us a little bit about her background, her passions. What, is, what are some sure. things that motivate her? Well, she was a model and an actress, and she, I guess she falls in love with Christopher Langley, her husband, who's a former rock star, and she was just kind of swept off her feet by him. And it's his idea that they should move to this suburb after they've been living in Brooklyn. And he feels like, I guess his career has gone, it, it has, I guess you'd say that the height of his career is over. And uh, they find this large house in this nice community, and he decides that he's going to give music lessons and sort of reinvent himself there. And they want to start a family of their own. But then... She leaves him in the middle of the night, and that really starts all of the neighbors talking because they've seemed like this golden couple, and people think, well, if they can't make it, how are we supposed to make it? Because, you know, they they seem, on, for, from the outside at least, close to perfect. So she, without giving too much away, she leaves, and she leaves him, and she reconnects with an old friend of hers from her modeling days. And she kind of, you know, is, is just trying to figure out her next move. But um, so you kind of get her, her backstory, her relationship with her sister, her mom, and, of course, flashes of how she met her husband and sort of what went awry. Is she like a... Um... How was, is she very laid back? Is she like an upscale type of uh, glamorous uh, luxury? Is she more laid back, uh, everyday uh, type know, of woman? I think at the height of her career, she was probably more upscale. But unfortunately, life has dealt her some disappointments that have kind of um, – made her a bit more introverted and she's oh. while she's while she's with her friend her friend is definitely um you know extroverted and out there and still modeling and i try to bring in a bit of um comedy there in that you know her friend is taking any possible ads and commercials that she can do before she's sort of you know quote unquote over the hill in her mid 30s so, so there's a bit uh, a bit of humor in her exchanges with the friend Vivian that she goes to live with while she figures out what she's going to do next. But, um, but she's definitely not as glamorous as she used to be. And that is one thing that she worries about because of course, with the tabloids, you know how they're always posting when they'll, you know, catch a celebrity, let's say in New York city and they're out without makeup or they're just in sweats. And of course they kind of seize on that. So she's a bit nervous. Like every time she leaves the apartment, she also suspects, like, she'll see someone across the street from the apartment and she wonders, you know, is he there? Is, is, is it a coincidence that this guy, you know, has her husband found her? Has he sent this guy? Like, who is this who's watching her? Or is it just in her head and she's paranoid because um, she is trying to make a fresh start? So she was a big-time model. She was big-time. Right, she was, and then um, she sort of, you know, took a break from that life, was hoping to start a family, and things just didn't really go her way. Okay, now, so I can see what you're saying now, the housewife. Does her husband, Christopher, when they were together, he was a former rock star, is he, is he did he, when they first met and, and during their marriage, does he live this, I know this is a, um, 
uh, I forget what the word is, but it's like a, a stereotype. But as a rock star, does he live this wild, bumpy life, or is he more of a family guy? Well, he had led that life exactly, and so, uh, but he had been drinking, and he had, and that's part of the story. And he definitely had dabbled in drugs, and he became kind of unreliable as a bandmate. So the guys in his group decide to leave him, and that's where he he finds himself kind of floundering and not really knowing what he's going to do next. And he and Allison are actually on their way to pick up a guitar that he wants, like a vintage guitar. And that's when they drive through this suburb of Oak Hill. And he kind of looks around and feels like it's this charming town where he and his wife could have this fresh start. And so that's when he kind of decides, you know, we talked about having a family someday. What if we move that up to now? And that's why that, that's how they end up there. But um, that's all in the book. And you kind of see how they are both, you know, they've both kind of left these careers, but they still in this neighborhood uh, you know, have kind of the most the most status and the most like celebrity cachet that people are curious about them and and sort of wondering and and, and wanting to know more about them, wanting to befriend them. I don't. I definitely don't want to give the story away, but the you know stories. People who readers are either attracted generally to the characters and to the plot, mm-hmm. but they have to really care about what happens to the characters. Now, so little Billy Barnes, you say he's five years old. What type of lives do he and his parents live? And how close to, how many houses away does Billy Barnes and his family live to Allison and Christopher? Well, they're all in the same neighborhood. They're just a few blocks away from each other. And Billy is, um, you know, I would say kind of like wise for his age. He's about to turn six. And he walks home. He's, it's a three-block walk from his elementary school. And his mom, Rachel, really didn't want him walking with – he walks with another boy on most days. And his mom really didn't want that. She wanted, um, you know, either to drop him off herself or – but her husband – who had been married and widowed and has this older son from his first marriage, he was saying, you know, you coddle him. He needs to be more independent. It's not a far walk. He'll get fresh air and exercise. And, you know, he's walking with a friend. We'll give him, we'll get him a cell phone. You'll be able to track his location. And Rachel still isn't in favor of it, but she sort of, I don't want to say she's bullied by her husband, but she's sort of intimidated by him, so she goes along with it. And then, unfortunately, on the day Billy goes missing, the boy that he usually walks with had had an accident, and he needed to go to the dentist that afternoon. So Billy decides he's going to walk alone. And so he is a Boy Scout. He has a compass in his pocket. He's usually – so at first when he doesn't come home, they start to wonder, like, was he experimenting with this compass? Did he go exploring? Did There's a pond in the town. Did he, did he walk over to the pond? And he loves dogs. Did he see a dog? Did he, you know, follow a, a squirrel? You know, as children do, they're very distractible. And um, unfortunately, on the day – 
that he goes missing, um, his mom, Rachel, had taken his phone at breakfast because he was playing a game on it when he was supposed wow. to be brushing his teeth. So she snatches the phone from him and says, you know, Oliver is going to be here to walk with you and you haven't brushed your teeth like you. And she, you know, she tells him multiple times. And of course, you know, this is taken straight from my own life. <laughs> my children ignore me when they're on their devices. So she sort of swoops in, snatches it from his hands. And then, of course, when he doesn't come home, she calls her husband, um, you know, frantic. And he says, well, track him. That's why we got him the phone. Find his location. Oh, and um, wow. she says, you know, he doesn't have it. And, of course, that causes a problem. I mean, oh. their their relationship has issues anyway, but that only exacerbates the Oh, my God. You have written. This could be a movie. Now, these parts. So, Denise, I oh hope my so. God! This could this could be. You got these little little nuances that just make it so intriguing and suspenseful. Describe the neighborhood. If 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 so, off the shelf listeners, if they could see it and feel like, how could you describe the neighborhood? Are these houses like multi million dollar homes? Is this a gated community? Describe um. the neighborhood. That's a that's a great question. Thank you. It's um you know, I think of it as kind of not necessarily like multi-million dollar homes, but definitely upscale. Like I think of it as a neighborhood where, you know, it was probably maybe a little bit more modest back in the day, but as people have come in with money, they've sort of uh, you know, built up the existing home so that they might have an older feel, but they're certainly they've been remodeled inside and they're updated and um, you know, Rachel herself is a real estate agent so she's very into flipping houses you know buying an old cape cod and then building it out you know putting in a fancy kitchen and with an island and you know a wine fridge like all the bells and whistles but at the same time it does have that sort of uh older older charm to the neighborhood where there are uh, lots of leafy trees and there's a pond in the center uh and i guess um cassidy the babysitter talks about how people you know they come down that's where they take their photos for their holiday cards and the piles of leaves that's where brides have their wedding pictures taken with their bridal parties after they get married at you know the church in the center of the town every 4th of July they have uh, a parade and a 5k that Cassidy runs with her good friend and uh so it's sort of like there are these these traditions are almost like very sacred within the town of of these things and um you know there's an ice cream shop and a library and um you know sidewalks everywhere and but of course beneath that lovely surface there's all this gossip um and people sort of weighing in on on one another and you know kind of passing judgment on Rachel for being this working mom and for not being there at the side on the sidewalk when her uh, son comes out of school, so it might look ideal on the surface, but it certainly isn't b- below that. Oh my goodness! So can you is 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 Billy's mom Rachel? Is she like a calm, confident woman? You said she works in real estate, or is she given to like nervousness or anxiety? What is she like? Well, that's a great question. I think when it starts, she is sort of that confident woman who 
wants to sort of get back to work because she's gotten married later in life and she married this man, Ted, who was married before and he has this older son. And she's trying very hard to kind of make their lives work, but her marriage hasn't turned out the way she hoped that it would. And I think when it comes to her son, Billy, she really, I think that's a source of anxiety for her even before he goes missing. Like she feels that guilt of, um, you know, other moms who aren't working, they get to be there for all the school assemblies and the concerts and things like that. And she's, you know, if she has a a closing or a showing, she's not there. And um, I think that really weighs heavily on her. And she's also not there right after school to orchestrate those play dates that are going to get her son maybe strengthen the friendships that he doesn't have. Right now, he, aside from the boy he walks with, he's a bit of a loner, and I think that weighs heavily on her too. And then, of course, when he goes missing, um, she's completely thrown into a tailspin and really racked with guilt that she wasn't home and that she hired this teenage babysitter and that – and also – Again, without without giving too much away, she had had a nanny, um, and something went wrong in that with that relationship, and she fired the nanny. And so instead of finding someone else and really vetting them, she kind of goes with this high school girl. And she, you know, by her own admission, will say this girl was distracted with getting ready for college and getting ready for the prom. And you know, so when it turns out that the babysitter is late. Rachel, you know, sort of kicks herself, like, why did I trust her in the first place? Wow. Oh, my gosh. Could you introduce us to maybe two or three other characters in The Perfect Neighborhood? You got a lot going on in this story. I do. Oh, my goodness. Little things that make you wonder. Okay, who did it? Where is he? Is he say, I bet you he's at so and so house. I bet you they got him. <laughs> right, <laughs> it is. It is true. They 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 kind of turn on one another. Like at one point, oh Rachel God. suspects. Yes. To, when you ask for another character, there is a character, um, Lindsay, and she was one of my favorites to write because she is, you know, just she is definitely the mom who is kind of like more upscale and worrying about, you know, how she's dressed and uh, she's included kind of in the inner circle of like the cool moms in the town. And um, she, I guess, her husband is a baseball coach and at one point, and he's been Billy's baseball coach. And at one point, Rachel kind of wonders, you know, was that dad overly familiar with the boys? You know, he's, he's patting them uh, after they have, you know, they have a hit. And so it really becomes like everyone becomes a suspect. There's a pool man who is cleaning out another lady's uh, pool, and suddenly it seems like his van is everywhere. And so is he a suspect? And <laughs> oh, my so, God. Right. It's oh, my kind God. Of like, they keep wondering and trying to guess. And I think it's one of those things like they, you know, there, had, there hadn't been much crime to speak of. And so, you know, once this happens, it's almost like everyone becomes a suspect in, in each other's eyes. I was going to ask you that too. This neighborhood has it been like nothing ever bad? No exactly. burglaries, no nothing ever happened here. So this will really be like incredible. 
Exactly. And that's what um, even Rachel, as the real estate agent, um, she will say, like, you know, this is such a safe community. That's how she sort of sells it to her clients. And she'll say, you know, the worst thing that ever happens is maybe you get a kid shoplifting candy, but nothing to worry about here. And then, of course, it's her own son who goes missing. Wow. You did a great job. Um, You know, this is one thing I love about Off the Shelf. I, almost every guest we have on, when when and you can't do this in a book description. When you start talking about your book, that's when it's like I got to get this book because you, oh. you you learn more about the characters, you learn more about the inspiration behind the making of the book, you learn more about the the, the, the environment, the, the it's just the plot, everything, and it makes the book that much more intriguing to me. Now that oh, said, we you. have about five five minutes left. We're coming down to the very end of the show. I wanted to ask you for our listeners who themselves would love to be in your shoes. They would love to write a novel. They would love to publish a novel, and you've published several different uh, stories already. What advice would you share, Liz, with someone looking to write a novel for the very first time? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I think the thing that has really helped me most is I take workshops, or I have taken workshops, um, there's a local writer's school near me, but I also think if you don't if you don't necessarily want or are able to spend the money to do that, if you can find writers either through your library or even online through meetup groups or Facebook groups, uh, what's really helped me is I know um, with writing, one of the biggest challenges I face is the discipline to sit down, especially when it gets hard, when a sentence isn't working or the plot isn't working or the characters are feeling hollow. You know, there's that tendency like, okay, well, I'll just close my laptop and go watch TV or I'll read and I'll read somebody else's book and, you know, or uh, I'll scroll through Twitter or Instagram. So when I take these workshops, or now at the at the moment I'm meeting with a good friend who's also working on a novel, and we'll try to meet once a week. And so I know that when I'm going either to the class or to meet with my friend, I have to have some pages ready, whether that's you know three pages or eight pages. Um, I just know that if I've made that commitment to meet with them, I'm going to do the work. So. I think there's, number one, there's accountability when you have a group. And then number two, I would say um, you're going to get that feedback from your listener, and they're going to tell you what worked. Hopefully you'll find somebody who is, you know, kind and encouraging, but also can help you make your story better. So the friend that I meet with, like, she is very honest, which I appreciate, and she'll tell me, you know, what worked for her, what didn't work for her, what she has questions about, what maybe, because as writers, we have this whole world in our head, but sometimes we can't get it all down on the page. So even if it's something simple, as like, what time of day is this happening? And you think, oh, yeah, how did I not think to include that? So uh, I think for those reasons, um, you know, just giving you the discipline and the, like, oh, i got to get these pages down so that I can share them, and then getting that feedback. And I think, too, when you get a kind word or a compliment, it is motivating. So then you come away from that group thinking, like, okay, I'm excited to see what happens next, to get to that next chapter and to stay with it. And then uh, one thing that I've done with the workshops and with my friend is we read aloud And that is another tip that I can't stress enough because, 
you will catch. Like I just, I was reading to my friend Thursday night and I realized I have the word sometimes way too many times sprinkled throughout it or the word later or like uh, I just read this wonderful book by Matt Bell called Refuse to be Done and he gives a list of what he calls weasel words like really and just or suddenly and and then I realized okay I have to if you weed those out your writing becomes a lot stronger so I think reading aloud is a is a great tip too and then I would say just also read read yourself and see um you know what what inspires you a lot of times when i read a great book i'll feel like oh man i i shouldn't be writing at all i can't do this but at the same time it's it's very motivating to think like Ooh, i want i aspire to write as well as this person does so i think those would be my tips and i would also say don't get discouraged there's so much rejection in this business and i mean each one of my books that are out there now was rejected probably at least a dozen times before it found a home. So I have a friend and she's a wonderful writer, but as soon as she gets rejection, she just kind of folds. She doesn't resubmit. And I think if if you want to see your book in print, you have to kind of just um, shrug it off and, and keep sending your work back out into the world. Yes, or you could self-publish, because either way exactly. you got to market it. And work with a professional editor before you publish it. Those are great tips. Thanks for sharing those. We are just down to the wire. Where can Off the Shelf List get a copy of your books, Liz? Oh, thank you for asking. I'm a, I'm at LizAlterman.com, and they're also available where books are sold. My um, my memoir, Sad Sacked, is available through Audible's Plus catalog, so it's free on there. And then I also encourage anyone, um, I know books are expensive and the inflation is insane right now, so if you go to your library and ask for them, um, hopefully your library will order them for you, whether you'd like the um, the actual physical copy or an ebook or an audio book. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll work with readers to, to get that into your hands. But I'm always grateful if anyone has any questions, they can reach me through my website, LizAlterman.com, or I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at LizAlterman, or I guess at LizAlterman, I should say. Oh, thank you, thank you, Liz. We have had the absolute pleasure of ha- having joined with us and interviewed Liz Alterman. She is the author of the books, The Perfect Neighborhood. You guys, what a good mystery. You like a mystery? Go check out The Perfect Neighborhood. He'll be waiting and sad sex. If she gave her website. I want to give it again. You visit it. Encourage you to visit her online, L-I-Z-A-L-T-E-R-M-A-N.com, LizAlterman.com, The Perfect Neighborhood. If you came in midstream, no worries. Once the show finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in the archives as many times as you like. You can share it with your friends, people who love books. I mean, she's got all kinds of stuff going on, Sad Pack, the memoir, and the perfect neighborhood. Don't you want to know what happened to little Billy Barnes? I mean, she, she, and all these different characters who could be involved in it. You can follow her at her website and keep up with other books she comes out with. She sounds like she, she's in it. She's in it for the long term. She's in it to win it. So we are glad we met Liz Alterman. We wish you the very best, Liz, especially with all of your books and The Perfect Neighborhood. You are awesome, awesome guest. 
So thank you. Oh, for you've been wonderful, time. Denise. It's, it's been such a pleasure to, to chat with you. I love your enthusiasm. And, and when you, I was thinking the same when you spoke about escaping toward freedom. I'm like, oh, I have to, that's going right on my on my list. I can't wait to read that. It's been a pleasure having you on, so thank you. And and to our listeners, as I always tell you, you're amazing, you're awesome, you're incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday, 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Liz, I'll shoot you an email when the show finishes streaming. Bye for now. Oh, bye. Thank you again.